SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the CUSA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. This time around, we are talking CUSA West. Last time, we uh, took a little deep dive into what we were expecting from CUSA East in 2021. But this time around, we, Joe Lonergan, Eric Henry, are diving into what we can expect from UAB, Louisiana Tech, uh, and the rest, as it has seemed the last couple of years. But... Eric, it's looking like that may change this year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know we've talked about it on prior podcasts, but I definitely am fired up to see how CUSA West shakes out, just given the fact that you have a couple of teams at the head, you know, the teams who have been at the top of the heap over the past few years, but you got a couple of teams who are really fine to make a surge and, you know, definitely make some noise. So I think, and I'm sure you feel the same way, that we're not going to have that, like, eventual by week five, week six, you kind of feel that one team, UAB has, has jumped out in front of the rest, right? I think this should be a pretty competitive year this year for the West. For sure. And I mean, right along with UAB, Louisiana Tech seems like they had been in that race the last couple of years right there with them. So let's let's go ahead and start with them since obviously they're the first uh, alphabetically within the conference anyway. Um, so first off, with Louisiana Tech – you go back to what they were able to do in the midst of the pandemic last year. It's a five and five season. One of the worst seasons they've had in a while, but think about that for a second. If pretty much most of the teams in the G five and the FCS were to say, look, the bottom of your potential this year is five and five. They'd be happy with that. So that just kind of tells you the strength of this program and the culture that Skip Holtz has been able to build so far. Um, so with that, let's talk about some key returners for the Bulldogs this year. Uh, for me, the receiving core trio of uh, Smoke Harris, Griffin Herbert, Isaiah Graham, I really think they're going to be able to get in a good groove this year if the quarterbacks can stay healthy. But that's you know a topic for a few seconds from now. Also, if you look at that offensive unit, they have four starting offensive linemen back. As we've talked about ad nauseum, it's much, much easier to establish uh, your offense and just get solid uh, chemistry amongst your offensive line unit the longer they play together. So that uh, seems like they're headed in the right direction there. And then you look at the defense. You have Tyler Grubbs at linebacker and BJ Williamson at safety. Uh, while that unit definitely struggled last year, I think those two guys in particular are going to be leaders for a strong uh, campaign for the Bulldogs heading into uh, another tough schedule for them. Um, when you talk about new additions, the big one that seems like everybody's been talking about, Marcus Williams coming in at running back from App State. He's got uh, one more year of eligibility, I believe. So that should uh, be interesting dimension to that offense and replace uh, their you know strong running backs that they've had the last couple of years and continue that tradition. Um, as far as storylines to watch, just getting them back to another bowl game. I believe this would be their eight or ninth straight bowl game. And that just goes back to that culture that we talked about that Skip Holtz has been able to build um, over the last better part of the decade or so. And what he's been able to do has been nothing short of extremely impressive, especially when you consider like the amount of guys you have left or got injured or, uh, you know, transferred out. It's, it's nothing short of remarkable. Um, and then you have at quarterback, 
Luke Anthony, who went down with a pretty serious injury in December, but he's looking to make a comeback. And then you also have a pretty competent guy in Aaron Allen. So that position battle, I think, in particular, is going to be, uh, you know, at the top of everyone's mind heading into fall camp this season. And uh, for the third storyline to watch, you know, I, I think ultimately it's just going to be, you know, who can uh, step up defensively for them. I think we've, you know, seen a lot of guys, uh, particularly on the defensive line and at the uh, outside linebacker position for them, um, really kind of shine the last couple of years. Um and now I feel stupid because I'm forgetting the name of the uh, player who just went to the Ravens and, and really stood out as a rookie. Um, Jalen Ferguson. Jalen Ferguson, yes. There's been one or two other players from Louisiana Turco fall in that category as well. So I think that's something to watch. And then as far as the key game for Louisiana Tech this season, I think a lot of people are going to talk about that Mississippi State game possibly you know playing against jack abraham who of course started his career at louisiana tech but what i'm interested in is this game against utsa uh based on what we've seen out of both these teams i think it's going to be a super interesting battle if tech is going to be in contention for cusa west as they always seem to be then i think they need to win that game uh and we'll get more into that when we talk about previewing utsa season uh Plus, with a relatively difficult start to the season, thanks to that game against the Bulldogs, plus contests against SMU and NC State, the momentum that would come from that win is going to go a long way in getting them to that bowl eligibility for the millionth straight year or whatever it is. No doubt about it. You pretty much hit the nail on, on everything there as far as it knows. I just have to give you a little bit of a hard time about something, Joe. Uh, I figured you would tap into your inner Louisiana there. Griffin Herbert, Griffin A. Bear. Throw, throw a little French on it. Um, Joe, quick note, uh, shout out to former F FIU SID Tyson Rogers, uh, Alexi Jean-Baptiste and Rocky Jacques-Louis. In the pronunciation guide, he just put put a little French on it. So uh, <laughs> that would be my advice to you, sir. Put a little French on it, a little Cajun on it. Beignet. There's the extent <laughs> of my, my Cajun dialect. So I apologize to the good people of Ruston. Um, but with that, you know, let, let's talk about um, – you know, a team from uh, North Texas that we're expecting uh, some interesting storylines out of this season. Eric, what are you thinking is going to happen with uh, the Mean Green in 2021? Yeah, sure. So with North Texas, here's the thing. We want to take a look at returners. Yeah, start with the running back situation. Low key, very silently, Joe. I mean, the big names in Conference USA tend to get the recognition, the sincere McCormick's, you know, Frank Gores. Of course, if you ask me, I got to put Devontae Price in there, you know, covering FIU. But North Texas silently has a really good running game. You look at Oscar Attaway the third and DeAndre Torrey. DeAndre Torrey really bounced back last year. He looked at the year prior when it was Trey Siggers really, you know, leading the rushing game in 2019. DeAndre Torrey had an excellent 2018. I believe he had 15 touchdowns. I'm off the top of my head, if memory serves me correct. Uh, almost 1,000 yards in 2018. 2019 slipped, but 2020 had a bounce back year. North Texas, known for their passing game, as we've known, you know, with the legendary exploits of one Mason Fine over the, his illustrious career. And then, of course, this past year with Jalen Darden. But this past year, North Texas had three rushers for over 500 yards, and Oscar Attaway, Trey Siggers, who took his talents to SMU, and DeAndre Torrey. But those, as far as our returners, definitely on the defensive side of the ball, an area where they've struggled. The, the number of points they've allowed over the past few years has seemingly only gone up. I believe they allowed just a shade under 40 points per game last year, or something about 35 and change in 2019. 
And of course, they're under third defensive coordinator as many years. We'll get to that in a second. But on the defensive side of the ball, they do have talent, Joe. That's the thing that makes it really kind of interesting that they've given up so many points. Got to start up front. Dion Noville, the big defensive tackle, 6'3", 6'4", 340 pounds. Joe, I was just watching, uh, I believe it was North Texas. I want to say North Texas Southern Miss last year. I, I, I want to say it was Southern Miss. But Dion Noville had a stretch where just on one drive, he had three straight tackles for loss. I think that was the game where he had four or five or five and a half tackles for loss was like one tackle for loss shy of the school record. I mean, he's just capable of wrecking havoc seemingly at any time. And KD Davis is a really excellent linebacker. Again, a guy who had over 70 tackles in eight games. I know um, when we had Brett Vito on a couple weeks ago, he talked about him missing a few games due to, you know, a COVID test and being a false positive. But when he's on the field, he makes plays. So it's just seemingly bewildering that they've struggled so much uh, as far as the defensive side of the ball and definitely got to give a shout out to the big uglies on the offensive line uh Manasseh Moise I, I just printed uh, you know critique you for your pronunciation I know I probably butchered that but he's a guy who's been a mainstay there on the offensive line when you take a look at the three things I'm looking at like I mentioned third defensive coordinator in as many years you know Clint Bowen uh Clint Bennett um you know a, a Phil Bennett excuse me uh, they've the defense is just it has nowhere to go but up in this case, and it has to improve. I mean, if put you this way, Joe, uh, not that we've ever thought that Seth Latrell will be on the hot seat, but if they're giving up more than the 38, 39, 40 points per game they're giving up last year, <laughs> then, you know, they've got an issue. So defense is definitely one thing. Quarterback, want to see what that situation, you know, ends up being. A guy who I did not mention as a returner, but he is, is the young man, when I, I use young in parentheses because he's about our age, Austin Ani, the former New York Yankees farmhand, Spent five years in the minors, you know, as a, a third baseman there and, you know, made the transition back to his first level football. He had a solid year last year in split time with Jason Bean. But you bring in the former four star recruit and Jace Ruder from North Carolina. We'll be interested to see how that situation shakes out. Ruder, of course, not getting there to the fall. So Austin Ani may have the inside track on that job, but we'll see how that plays out. And then the third thing, you know, like I said, no one is looking to fire a coach on this show. But I do think you have to look. It's just funny or maybe funny is not the right word. Maybe I should say ironic how Seth Luttrell kind of, you know, you hear the phrase strike while the iron's hot. Two years ago, he was one of the hottest names in, in you know, coaching as far as G5 ranks. I had an opportunity at the Kansas job, turned it down. Of course, seemingly that <laughs> it was a, the right move, but nevertheless, his North Texas tenure has not been great over the past two years. So not saying that he's on the hot seat by stretch of imagination, but you definitely want to get things trending in the right direction. As far as the key game, I'm looking at a early season match. I believe it is week five against Louisiana Tech. And here's why, Joe. They have two out-of-conference games this year. One of them, and this is just, you know, one of the things that when you schedule teams, you can't predict how they're going to be in a few years. Liberty. If, if you schedule Liberty, let's say this game, and I, I don't know the exact year it was scheduled out, but let's say you schedule it in 2016, right? It's a completely different Liberty team than the one you're looking at with Malik Willis, who is – You've heard of some chatter from being a potential number one pick in the NFL draft in the coming year. So that is a really, really tough game. Then you got a power five game against Missouri. So I think let's let's say if both those games are losses, you want to get that CUSA win uh, ahead of it. And I think uh, against a tough team in Louisiana Tech, a CUSA West foe, that would be a good you know kind of a statement game to say, hey, you know, it, it, we don't know what's going to happen as far as the rest of the schedule, as far as the out-of-conference games. I believe they have Abilene Christian as well to open the year. But if you can handle business against a CUSA opponent, you're in good shape. 
Yeah, I mean, definitely don't disagree about being able to be successful against uh, in-division opponents. But, you know, I do want to call out something that uh, our, our buddy Brett Vito said when he, when, uh, when he was on our show. That SNU game, that has potential to be very entertaining. And it's, it's an intense rivalry. Both those schools take that rivalry pretty seriously. It's a lot of Texas kids who know each other very well. Plus, we're talking about two really fast-paced offenses a lot of points are going to get scored in this game. Some feelings may or may not get hurt. Some some pickup trucks are going to be insulted. It's going to be an interesting, interesting weekend. Well, remember really quick, Joe, I like the way that Brett described that rivalry. He said, you know, one school may be driving the pickups and the other school may be driving the Lamborghinis. I will let you, uh, those were listeners out there, decide who is who. I'm sure if you, you do the math there, you can kind of figure out which is which. Well, that's Dallas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Eric, you want to take us on a road trip down to Houston to talk about Rice then? Yeah, sure thing. So that's another situation that he is definitely going to be interested in keeping an eye on this year. Let's start with the returners. A guy who I am very excited to see back in Conference USA this year, Joe, not going to lie, kind of disappointed I didn't get a chance to see him last year, was the big 6'5", 190-pound deep threat, Brad Rosner, uh, when he last played in 2019. He was one of the top deep threats in Conference USA. I believe he had somewhere around 60 catches for 800 yards. Uh, I know I remember making the statement, and it, it was funny, Joe. I remember that, uh, <laughs> not to call out Mike Bloomgren, but he actually liked the tweet. I think I, I, I don't remember how I phrased it verbatim, but I said that, you know, had Rice had uh, better quarterback play, you know, Rosner and Trammell. Austin Trammell could have been both 1,000-yard receivers in all conference. Uh, so clearly Mike Bloomgren agrees that uh, quarterback play has been, uh, has been an issue, but we'll get to that in a second. Outside of Brad Rosner, Joe, another guy who's one of my favorites in Conference USA is Treshawn Chamberlain, because pound for pound, he might be one of the toughest and most talented guys. A guy who's 5'9", a buck 85, but is going to play that uh, that new age rover. Uh, maybe, you know, Ed Reed kind of, Sean Taylor, the Miami guy, kind of popularized that position, a hybrid safety linebacker. He's going to get in there and, you know, not afraid to uh, get in there and, you know, stick his head in there and make a play. Uh, outside of that, you look at the offense. Excuse me, you look at the offense there. Jordan Myers, a kind of a, uh, Swiss Army knife at, at tight end. Kalen Griffin, uh, very talented three-star recruit. This uh, is a true freshman last year, was the, the lead back at Rice. And then Juma Otoviano, he's a guy who kind of fell out of favor. But if you remember as a freshman, he actually set the Rice record for rushing yards in a game by a freshman in the season finale against ODU. I believe he had something like over 205 yards, memory serves me correct. So th- there is some talent there returning. When you look at the new additions, We'll start with quarterback, and we're going to end it with quarterback, Joe, because that's the thing that's really hampered this team over the past few years as far as being able to make a bowl game. Jake Constantine was the name to watch, the former Weber State two-year starter. But as recently as a couple weeks ago, the brother of Christian McCaffrey, son of former Denver Bronco Ed McCaffrey, Luke McCaffrey, the former Nebraska quarterback, he has made his way to Rice. Uh, I think that's going to be something to watch. I think it's going to be really interesting. If he can kind of, you know, actualize his talent at Rice, the former four-star recruit, we saw what happened last year when Rice got steady quarterback play out of Mike Collins, right? You know, things kind of trended upwards. What hampered Rice last year was not quarterback play. It was COVID and not be able to start the season until, you know, damn near the whole season was done. And then, of course, you know, the quadruple doink that cost him a game. So if they can get the quarterback play going with Luke McCaffrey that'll be something to watch which transitions nicely into my three things quarterback quarterback and quarterback Uh, I did it three times because again I cannot state it enough 
the first time I had a chance to see Mike Bloomgren's team, Joe, was in 2018. They came and visited FIU. And FIU, if you remember, in 2018 was second in CSA East. They, they looked like they were going to win the conference, win the division, excuse me, until a last week slip up against Marshall. And Rice came in and held tough. I know the final score might have been something like 37-17 or something like that. But Rice held tough for three quarters. It was really quarterback play that held them up. And it's just been that way ever since. I feel like it's rinse and repeat about them holding tough against CUSA teams or last year against, you know, uh, I believe they played Wake Forest tough at home. They just got to get steady quarterback play. And then the other thing, if I don't want to mention that again, is the run game. You know, Mike Bloomgren's tagline for Rice is intellectual brutality. One of the best taglines in all of sports, in my opinion. And he has made a commitment to running the football. One that over the first two years actually did pretty fairly well. But last year, Kylan Griffin and Juma Otoviano, I believe when you total up their yards per carry, it was something like 3.8, 3.9. And at the college level, <laughs> that ain't going to get it done. So definitely want to see an improvement in the run game. The game that I am watching, Joe, it is the penultimate game of the year against UTEP. Here is the reason why. And we will talk about UTEP. I think I have UTEP in, uh, later on this in this podcast. But for both programs and both head coaches dana dimmel with the minors and mike lundgren it's, it's getting downtime to where you got to see you know what we're going to do here as far as contract extensions are they the right guys for the job that could be a one joe where excuse me that could be a game joe excuse me where again if 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 let's say rice comes in and uh, you know quick math is not my strong suit but let's say rice comes in at five and four right if they lose that one, go five and five, and then, you know, they lose the last two, that could be bowl contention right there. And that could be a contract extension for one of these coaches. So I'm not trying to say that, you know, Rice versus UTEP is the Super Bowl, but it's one that could definitely have some implications uh, when you look at towards of those head coaches and their future. I 100% agree with you. I mean, when you look at that contest against UTEP for the Owls, it seems more and more important the more that we all think about it. Two rebuilding coaches enter and personally i think if either or both of these coaches don't figure it out after this season both ad's would probably be doing their schools a disservice if they didn't seriously consider thinking about you know <laughs> making a change as you said yeah yeah i mean just i mean get the nail on the head there especially when you look at utep situation we'll talk about that but uh you know dana dimmel wasn't even tendered a contract extension um when he was up for it you know, and had the opportunity to, they felt that you know, the AD came out, I'm forgetting the name off the top of my head right now, but he came out and said, we didn't feel we were there yet. So you, you pretty much, you know, hit the nail on the head as far as that's concerned. Yeah. And it, it's weird times for, for Texas G5 football, for sure. Um, FCS is doing great. Uh, P5 is doing, eh, we don't have to talk about that, but uh, let's, let's talk about UAB and what we're expecting out of the defending conference championships uh, or the defending conference champions rather this year. Uh, as far as key returners, you have the entire starting offensive line back and they look phenomenal. Like, I don't know what it is about the way that they coach the offensive line position in the state of Alabama, just in general, but it is a thing of beauty. Like you, me and Jared Kalmus could do an entire podcast about this UAB offensive line specifically. And we still might, we have a little bit of off season content left to fill, but I digress. Uh, as far as key returners go, I'm also going to put tight ends, Hayden Pittman and Garrett Prince in there i think they're going to be really key red zone targets for uh you know a quarterback situation that's 
good, but a little wild at times. So just the fact that they have red zone targets who are as dependable as these two guys, I think that's definitely going to help their cause. Um, new additions, they get linebacker Justin Thomas from LSU, who, in my opinion, was pretty woefully underutilized over there. But uh, in making the change to UAB, he now gets his chance to really be a standout guy there. Um, and UAB returns a lot of uh, other key players from the defensive side of the ball as well. Uh, three things to watch. Quarterback, for one, is it Tyler Johnston or is it Bryson Lucero? You know, we've seen Tyler Johnston come up big in, in certain big games, but he's also a little wild, uh, you know, just, you know, to refer to him in like pitcher terms. Um, if he can kind of get it under control and just be a little bit more consistent, I think he will be the guy and, you know, at least have the Blazers in contention for another title, which I think this is a little bit of a cop out. But I think one storyline to watch for them is can they make it three titles in four years? Uh, obviously, they won it last year. UAB won the year before that. And then, you know, the Bill Clark kind of completed the whole uh, fairy tale story arc that he kind of set in motion when he brought that program back um, back in 2017 when he won that title. Um, and then speaking of the offense, I think we're all going to have our eye on that running back rotation what kind of happens there can Dwayne bride kind of win the rb1 spot after being you know a solid enough backup uh for spencer brown last year so that's kind of what i'm paying attention to for uab in 2021 here as far as the key game for them i'm gonna go with their october 2nd contest against liberty uh for one it's their first game in the new stadium uh it's against a really quality opponent who managed to put together some really interesting teams, as you said, over the last two or three seasons. And because of those things, I think this has a, the potential to be a special moment in the history of the UAB program. They will definitely need to control the ball, limit turnovers, and some of these young guys are going to have to step up. But if it'll let me, I'm setting my DVR for that game like tonight. <laughs> uh, I, I did find your, uh, your keys to the game there, Joe. I don't know if you remember the throwback Madden, like, 2000 2001 whatever it was or 99 when you, you throw it in there like madden's three keys to the game it just brought back a memory there so uh great job there <laughs> I, yeah i'll start talking about turducken next so don't tempt me with the Madden comparisons <laughs> <laughs> I, I will uh pick it up where you leave off with the southern miss golden eagles if my alphabetical uh memory is correct there i think i, I could still uh say my abcs with southern miss here's the deal you gotta take a look at the returners and and <laughs> You and I have talked about this off air. You know, we can bring this conversation on air. That team, when you look at the fact that, A, three of their losses were by 10 points or less. It may even have been seven points or less. They were coached by three quarter, three quarterbacks. They were coached by three quarterbacks. They played three quarterbacks. They were coached by three head coaches last year. I mentioned all that to say, when you look at the returners, you're almost thinking, Southern Miss, they're not going to have any talent left. And then you look at the roster and they got Frank Gore Jr., who clearly showed he picked up, you know, his dad's traits as a running back, <laughs> was one of the top freshmen at CUSA. Jason Brownlee, who was one of the top JUCO recruits at receiver and clearly made the transition to the FBS level really well. I'm a big fan of Jason Brownlee and his big playability. Hayes Maples, he's a guy who I know some people across Conference USA circles have said, oh, you know, Southern Miss wasn't that good and he just made a bunch of tackles. But not really. You look at the film, Hayes Maples is a really, really good conference USA football player. Malik Shorts as well in the sick in the secondaries of safety had 80 tackles. Of course, you might want to 
uh, bring that number of tackles down, but still Malik Short's a very good DB. Arvin Fletcher is a guy who I feel the need to mention on this podcast, Joe, because for the past few years, and I got to give a shout out to his dad. Uh, his dad was the first guy who was like, hey, you know, I, I think my son's a pretty good player here in Southern Miss. You know, check him out. And of course, we get requests from parents all the time, but it's not just his dad. It's not just me saying this uh, across. You know, you can talk to coaches across the league. Uh, I've talked to a couple of you know, myself. Um, Arvin Fletcher, it goes really, really under under noticed and, and is really very, very underrated. Conference USA offensive lineman can play guard. He has played guard in his career, can play tackle as well. So want to shout out Arvin Fletcher. And as you mentioned in some of your previews, if you got alignment up front, you know, that's a really good start. Uh, take a look at the three things here. Actually, you know what? Let's go to the new additions. Uh, the new additions, it's Will Hall. I, I think, you know, he has a chance. You get a Mississippi native coming home, gets the chance to really set the culture. Uh, and I, again, I, 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 I was watching Southern Miss and FAU. Um, so clearly I've been watching a, a quite a bit of Southern Miss football in the off season. And I had a chance to hear his in-game interview, which I think FAU was their second to last game. Or it might've been their last game of the year. So I know they upset FAU, but I had a chance to hear Will Hall's in-game interview. And you hear the enthusiasm and the passion about a guy who clearly knows that program really well and is happy to be home. So I think that is the key addition. And then Trey Lowe, Trey Lowe is not a new addition. He's a returner, but for all intents and purposes, he's the guy. And he, you know, we saw what happened last year. He started the FAU game, and that was the first game that he wasn't kind of just tossed in there due to COVID or, you know, Jack Abraham leaving in, in, in the middle of the season or in an injury. He had a chance to game plan. They game prepped with him as the starter, and he produced. So really be interested to see what the former West Virginia uh, Mountaineer quarterback can do. Want to take a look at the three things. I mentioned Will Hall already, mentioned Trey Lowe already. So I'm going to go straight to the culture. Southern Miss Joe, and I definitely want to get your feedback when I finish up after the key game, your thoughts on this. They're in a kind of a unique place as far as their culture is concerned, right? Because I, I, to bring the audience, you know, behind the curtain here, I got a request from one of our sister uh, sites, the Mountain West Connection. And one of the, the questions they asked me was, what about the Mountain West Conference do I think makes them unique? And in my answer, Joe, I'm going to bring it all the way home here. Give me a second. Is that some of the programs there have really defined culture. You look at Boise State, right? They have 20 years of history of being a solid G5 team. Fresno State, um, you know, with David Carr going back and they've put players in the NFL. Hawaii, you know, they have that culture of being, you know, that fun and gun under June Jones. Like San Diego State, San Jose State, th their programs have an identity. For all the things you can say about Conference USA, you got half of the programs that kind of have that identity and half of them who don't. Southern Miss is one of our legacy programs, one of the ones that's been Conference USA through and through for the past two, uh, two and a half decades, you know, since Conference USA began in 96. And it feels like over the past five, six years, you know, maybe you can attribute it to the Jay Hobson era. Maybe, maybe you can't, but they haven't had an identity, right? Like they haven't been one of those stalwart programs. And I think, again, getting a, a Mississippi native can maybe – just kind of bring, I don't know if it's a injected, you know, a fuse of energy into the lifeblood of that program, whether it's the players and or the fan base. So I think it'll be really interesting to see just in year one, not saying Will Hall has to go, you know, eight and five, but if he can just kind of bring, kind of rally the troops around, uh, it was really a pride, or excuse me, a proud and prideful Southern Miss fan base. I think that'll be key. So Starting there, or picking back off there, excuse me, going to go with their start uh, as far as the key game, the opening game of the year, against South Alabama. Remember, they lost that game last year at home. 
that was the final game in the Jay Hobson era. They go to South Alabama. They need a win. What Southern Miss needs is to atone for that loss last year and start with a win. So that is my key game. And uh, I'll let you opine. Yeah, let me start with uh, my thoughts on the key game. Uh, I'm going to go with week three against Troy. Um, I think the first couple of weeks, like I personally think they absolutely have what it takes to beat South Alabama based on like what you said. I think through all of the (laughs) – I see – I saw your eyes there. But (laughs) – you know, I think it kind of gets lost because of all of the drama, for lack of a better word, that this program's had to endure the last two years. Uh, how good Trey Lowe really is. And, you know, if you're a Southern Miss fan, you can only hope that he gets his feet under him enough to be in a position to lead that team to a win in that game. But um, I think week three is going to be their chance to show how good they really are and how much progress they've made with the recent coaching change and what they've learned from those two games that I just mentioned, plus all of the just weird changes and, you know, players dropping in and out because of COVID and, and, what have you not to mention Southern Miss's defense hasn't exactly been their strong point the last couple of years. So going against an offense that's as fast paced as Troy is, I think is going to be a crucial test as far as determining what the ceiling of this team actually is. No, no. I, I think that's an interesting point. The reason my eyes uh, lit up like that is you, you said, you think that the talent beat South Alabama, I mean, they did last year, you know, we saw that happen. And of course you can say, there are plenty of Southern Miss fans who like to remind us that uh, they were not fans of the Jay Hobson era. They they may pin that specific loss on Jay Hobson. So uh, there's that. But no, uh, I think it's a fair point you make. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what if if they can really move on from for me anyway, and for just like a you know grand scheme of things, national college football fan, the legacy of that program is always going to be Brett Favre, and I think we're still kind of waiting on someone else to come out of that school to like top that, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, I agree with you. Um, I, you know, never mind. I'll, I'll save that for, uh, for another podcast, you know, uh, Brett Favre's football exploits have been phenomenal. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, before I, I bring it home with uh, some UTSA talk, you want to talk about the, the UTEP miners and what we expect from them? Absolutely. So when you talk about the minors and I'll start with their returners, listen, Joe, they have one of the top receiving cores in conference USA and Jacob Cowing and Justin Garrett, two guys who, when you look at the quarterback situation, I'll come to that in a second. I'm not saying that they made the quarterback, but they definitely enhanced the quarterback. So I think that's fair to say, let's show some love again to the offensive lineman, Bobby DeHaro can for the, you know, for the life of us, can Bobby DeHaro make a CUSA all first or second team. Three straight years making the honorable mention as an offensive lineman at UTEP, all things considered. Uh, so Bobby DeHaro clearly, you know, has been excellent up front, but let's see if he can make a first or second team after three straight years, you know, get an honorable mention slot. And uh, I know that our friend Adrian Bratis said his name, his last name correctly, and I'm going to butcher it. Praise Hamahule. I, I, I hope I got it right, but I don't believe I did. Nevertheless, one of the top defensive players in Conference USA, especially on the defensive line, was, you know, I believe second or third behind Leighton McCarthy in tackles for loss last year. And uh, was right up there with, you know, the uh, D'Angelo Malones and Jalen Joyners as far as sacks are concerned. So definitely a very versatile defensive lineman can play, uh, you know, 
defensive tackle and defensive end, but I think his natural spot would be D-end. Definitely want to keep an eye on him. And last but not least, the quarterback I mentioned in Gavin Hardison. Again, for all intents and purposes, he is the guy. I, I, I believe, you know, that uh, Dana Dimmel said that the competition is open, but, you know, Gavin Hardison is a guy who, when they had any success last year, it was him. Now, the thing is this, the number's very pedestrian. Five touchdowns, five interceptions, completion percentage, a tick below 60%. And Joe, I remember watching the Charlotte game distinctly. That was a game that they were in on the road. And it was the second half, third quarter. I want to say it was the first and second drive, if memory serves me correct. But there were plays to be made on second and third down. And he just missed the throws. And I'm not harping on the guy, but when you got two really good receivers in Cowing and Garrett, you got to make those plays. As far as new additions, it really starts and ends with the defensive, excuse me, the offensive and defensive coordinator, in my opinion, Dana Dimmel, and we'll talk about him in a second. We had Adrian brought us on and Adrian said, Hey, you know, the fact that both coordinators were dismissed was rather surprising, but Bradley Dale Pivoto, a, he was out of football in 2020, something that can be said about the offense power that I'll mention in a second, but defense wasn't necessarily their issue at temp uh, at UTEP. Excuse me. I did a temp and UTEP there at UTEP. It was a matter of, you know, offensively, they couldn't get any consistency over the past few years. But, hey, Bradley Dale Pivotel's new defensive coordinator. We'll see what happens. They had a very unique scheme. They were playing a lot of 3-3-5. I remember when UTEP came to FIU, one of the things is that they had Duran Lowe, the former UTEP cornerback who's taken his talents to Liberty. Uh, Jason Van Hook is a linebacker there, but they, they had a lot of talent, a former linebacker, but they had a lot of talent in the secondary. I'm forgetting the the kid who was, a, a, I believe, a UCLA or Arizona transfer who was there as well. But um, the secondary was a strength, but they are moving away from that to a bit more of a 4-3 scheme. You definitely want to see what he will do. Dave Warner, that is a very, very interesting hire. Here's why. The former Michigan State co-offensive coordinator, they had success in 2013, excuse me, 2014 and 2015. But those numbers kind of tailed off towards the end of Dave Warner's tenure to the point where he was replaced as offense coordinator and wasn't retained by Mel Tucker when Mark D'Antonio retired. And he was out of football as well in 2020. We'll definitely want to see, you know, Dana Dimmel, he is hitching his horse to two coordinators who uh, I don't want to say, you know, these guys will certainly forget more football than I'll ever know. But if you just look at their tenures, they're rather question marks. So let's see what happens there. The three things to watch, as I mentioned, Gavin Hardison, if he can take the next step, Joe, he does not have to be Mason Fine. He does not have to be Chris Robinson. He can be one of my favorite guys of all time, 2018 A.J. Erkley. Protect the football, make the throws that are there. The rest of the talent is around him. You talk about Deion Hankins, a guy I didn't even mention as a returner, but Deion Hankins, one of the top young, talented running back. I mean, they've got everything set up on offense. Just got to have the quarterback make the plays. I mentioned the coordinator specifically on defense. I have to see what happens, specifically on offense, see what happens there. And then Dana Dimmel, uh, we're entering year four, and Jim Warner was the UTEP athletic director that I had forgotten the name of, but came out and said that, you know, hey, we didn't think we were there as far as warranting a contract extension. Uh, it's very much make or break. And as far as the key game, not to rinse and repeat, but Rice second to last week for the same reasons I said with Mike Bloomgren, but also so that I'm not just giving you the same thing I said with Rice, ODU week five. I think that's interesting, Joe, because you have a program that did not play football last year and clearly was trending downward toward the end of the Bobby Wilder era. One and 11, the last time they took the field, they are definitely in rebuilding mode. So is UTEP. They have two games. 
that I'm not saying, you know, again, are the Super Bowl of, of Conference USA. But I just think at the point where these programs are, or this specific program in UTEP, they need to win, right? No one, I'm not saying every team is going to beat ODU, but no team in CUSA is going to want to face their athletic director and say, yeah, we lost to the team that didn't play last year and wasn't good the year before they played. And then Rice, you know, that's an in-state rival. You're competing for recruits and talent. You got to win that game. So those are the two I will point out as far as key games for Dana Dimmel's UTEP club. Yeah, I think those make sense. I think you could also talk about the UTSA game. I also think you could talk about that that rivalry game against New Mexico State just because of the, the history there. I don't know how you can really pick one game, to your point, with this UTEP team when everyone is so crucial to the not just the success, but the survival of the program at this stage. Like we're talking about a program who won three games last year and everybody was so psyched about it. Like that's, you know, there, there are a lot of teams, like I said, that would kill for a bad year to be five and five, like Louisiana tech last year, like I said, but UTEP is also in a, a rare club where wins have become so rare that they are celebrated as if they were Super Bowl wins no matter who the opponent is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember, you know, when they, uh, they beat Houston Baptist a couple of years ago and it was like, Hey, you got to start somewhere. Right. I mean, you do, but, and, and Joe, what's crazy about this is yeah. The end of the Sean Coogler era certainly wasn't pretty, you know, um, but <laughs> this wasn't a team that uh, it's not like they coming off of a decade of irrelevancy. You know, we can go back, a handful of years ago and they were winning games you know i remember uh uh trevor vitito uh, who i believe does games there uh for the um does games with our friend um andy morgan if memory serves me correct um but trevor vitito the former utep quarterback i remember them winning you know seven eight nine games when he was a quarterback so it, it's a situation where however they've gotten to this point that they have gotten to this point they want to avoid it but this is not a program that has just been bad for you know a decade so again to your point they got to get things going in the right direction on the other side of that you have a program from the other side of texas and utsa that is absolutely trending upward uh so let's talk about the roadrunners a little bit key returners for me it's it's two guys and these two guys are going to be you know the ones who take them as far as they can go frank harrison sincere mccormick like we talked about, you know, sincere McCormick's ability ad nauseum uh, was, you know, by far the best, uh, you know, young running back in CUSA, probably the best running back in CUSA last year. And then you have Frank Harris, who was really impressive when he was healthy. And that's the key storyline. I think we're all following for the Roadrunners this season, right? Can Frank Harris stay healthy? This guy got bit by the injury bug harder than I bite Crunchwrap Supremes. That's that's pretty bad. Um, as far as new additions, you have uh, Trevon Bradley and Kennedy Lewis at receiver from Houston and Texas, uh, respectively. So two pretty big in-state transfers that I think are going to add an interesting dimension to their offense um, when they're not just handing it off to Sincere McCormick. Um, as far as things to watch for the Roadrunners, UTSA has sort of made a name for themselves in finding these really solid, uh, you know, defensive front seven guys, Jos- uh, Josiah Taufea, Marcus Davenport, uh, Les Maruo, who we're going to see in the CFL this year. Someone has to step up and 
take that role on this year. Not sure who it's going to be, but I think that's pretty crucial to, the, to their success because you don't want to get in these uh, scenarios like North Texas has been where you put up a million points and still lose because you can't defend. So for me, that's what I'm watching. I talked about Frank Harris staying healthy. Um, if he can just keep himself out of the training room, then I think you know this team is going to sneak in there at the end of the season, uh, right in there with Louisiana Tech and UAB as far as contending for the CUSA West title. And the last thing that I am really watching for from this UTSA team, I think the plays downfield are absolutely going to be there. Like first and second down, you know, get a few yards with, or even like first down, you get a few yards with uh, Sincere McCormick. You have a second and short. Play action, bomb it downfield, right? Like four verts that, you know what? Like, <laughs> almost said a bad word. But, like, just do the NCAA 14 play that we all have run a million times before. But, like, you have these four targets in your receiving core with Trevon Bradley and Kendi Lewis and Cephas and, you know, the other guys in that unit, like, take advantage of that size and that power that they have there and just take some shots down the field as long as you keep Frank Harris protected. Because by gum, that's, again, your golden ticket. That's your golden goose. Um, as, as, along with Sincere McCormick, of course. Uh, and then the key game for them, uh, the UAB game, I think is going to be crazy. And I will add this caveat, as I've added with everything, is Frank Harris Frank Harris going to be healthy this deep into the season? If he is, I think we're in for a really entertaining battle. But if not, it could be a different story. It and with him, it was his knee last season, right? Like for whatever reason, those are like the hardest things to like keep healthy once you get that first big injury. I don't know what it is. I'm not a doctor, but that's got to be like the number one priority is just keeping that guy on both feet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with with, with Frank Harris, it, it was it was the knee both years, twenty nineteen torn ACL. Last year, you know, I ended up having a I have to miss a couple games because of the knee. I remember it was a game time de- decision against uh, UAB because that was a game I was really wanted to see. You know, two of the top teams uh, in CUSA as far as offensively speaking. And Joe, two things really quickly. You know, we got a couple minutes before we close this one up. One is a broader CUSA point that I think our listeners would want to know since we've just come off previewing the entire conference. And the second is a UTSA point. UTSA, even if you look at their quarterback situation, they got Josh Adkins, the former New Mexico state starter, who was a two year starter. If memory serves me correct, might've been a year and a half or two. So at least they have him and then Lowell Narcisse who performed well when Harris was hurt, former LSU transfer. So not to say, knock on wood, you know, Frank Harris doesn't get hurt, but they're in pretty good position quarterback-wise. Uh, so there's that. And then the second thing, and this is me putting you on the spot, and I'm going to answer myself, who are we choosing as winners of the East and West? Do you want me to go first? or? <laughs> okay. uh, I asked these questions so you can go first, and that buys you more time to think, Joe. I, <laughs> I see. I see your game, you Maverick Renegade. Uh, <laughs> for the East, um, yeah, for the East, man. You know, I think I'm buying I'm buying into Marshall, you know. I'm buying into what Coach Huff's selling right now. I think Grant Wells, like, he had some speed dumps for sure, but if they can kind of get him back into the groove that he had at the beginning of the season, then I think he can take them to the title game. In the West, you know, I, I'm going to 
I'm going to say UAB, but I think UTSA is going to be right there. Like UTSA has the weapons like I just got done, you know, giving a sermon about. But at the same time, UAB just has so much talent coming back and their system is just so well-defined and they just have these down to just pure muscle memory at this point. So that's, that's my pick. I think UAB is ultimately going to repeat again. That's my pick, but I think we're going to see them and Marshall in that title game. So here's where I'm at. I am buying wholesale on UTSA. I know UAB fans may be a little bit upset. Dwayne McBride, Listen, if he had had enough carries to qualify, he would have led the league in yards per carry. Of course, he didn't. But, you know, had 40 carries for 400 and some yards, like 10 a pop or 9 a pop, whatever he had last year. I just think there are some questions regarding, as you mentioned, the quarterback situation, specificity, the consistency. And I've said it on this podcast prior. At this point, Joe, I don't even know if it's even all on the quarterback because any quarterback they've stuck in there since the departure of A.J. Erdley has been – Eight touchdowns, seven interceptions, 59.8% completion percentage, right? Like, they have not had a – if members of correct, even back to the A.J. early years, I don't even think they were completing 60% of their passes. So that becomes a, then a scheme and coordinator situation. So that will be something to keep an eye on. Defensively, they do bring back a lot of talent. I think the move of Chris Mole as kind of that hybrid safety linebacker will be interesting. But I am buying wholesale on UTSA. I just think, again – if Frank Harris can stay stay healthy, but sincere McCormick, Zakari Franklin, the offensive lineman they return, um, um, the D lineman on top of my head, Jalen Jalen Haynes, um, Jalen Haynes, um, Rashad Wisdom, you know um, the kid, the safety who transferred in from um, Antonio Parks, they have a ton of talent. Lucas Dean at punter, um, I just think it's all there for UTSA to take in the West. And then in the East, I think it's going to be a two-team race. I do think FAU is going to be a factor when you look at the amount of talent they bring back defensively, combined with the talent they have at running back, combined with the transfers of Johnny Ford coming in there, um, Aaron Young and TJ Chase. Those were guys who, you know, their numbers, they are power five talents whose numbers were probably affected by the COVID year. It's going to come down to quarterback, right? Uh, is it going to be Nikosi Perry? We'll see what happens. It looks all for all intents and purposes again that he's going to be the guy probably pushed by uh, last year's former starter Nick Tronti, but I, I think FAU is going to be right there. And the team that I am torn on, Joe, Marshall lost a lot. Uh, the Kane Madden move is the one that really hurts me because I feel like if you get that offensive lineman, clearly he's talented enough to play at a power five school. You keep that up front and then you transition to one game and Grant Wells' development, they have something there. Um, but I, I'm torn between Marshall and believe it or not, Joe, I'm going to buy in on the Bailey Hockman move. Bailey Hockman, the former NC State starter at Middle Tennessee State, they have receivers there. Can Scott Schaefer fix that defense? We don't know. But um, I guess if I got to pick one because I just said half a CFA East and you chose one team, I'm going to go FAU. <laughs> I'm going to take FAU and UTSA in the conference title game. I can definitely see it. I will give one quick rebuttal on your thoughts on Marshall. I was absolutely in the same school of thought as you regarding the Kane Madden departure until I, you know, heard Jared's take on it a few days ago um, when he talked about how good Will Ulmer is and Ethan Driscoll, I think, is going to be, you know, a solid uh, kid. Who 
playmaking season. So I think they have the potential to, you know, I think Cade Madden is, he's phenomenal. You know, you don't get scouted by Notre Dame if you're not, but I think they have the tools there to, you know, replace what they lost. So that's my thought there. Um, no, no, that, that's that, that's a fair take. I can't be mad at that. I mean, hey, this is where, uh, you know, hot takes. They can, uh, they can have a hot take exposed, can expose us when we're uh, wrong in a couple months, you know, or when I'm wrong. One of us will be wrong. Not well, well, I mean, we're going to get quote unquote exposed like the day after we drop this anyway on Twitter. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It is what it is. Um, but thank you so much uh, for all those of you that listen, even the ones that, uh, you know, get in our DMs after every episode. But uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again real soon. If you want to follow us on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore at Eric C. Henry underscore. And then, of course, at Underdog Dynasty uh, on Twitter as well. And then UnderdogDynasty.com. Uh, come back as we continue to build up uh, preseason coverage of the G5 and FCS and uh, we are more and more excited for the 2021 football season by the day. Happy football watching, everybody. Stay safe.